Oh my god, I'm starting to shake, man. I know. Just don't open yourself up to them. Trying, man. Do I'm not trying. say you're starting to shake. Okay. I am don't open yourself up to them. That can be dangerous. Come here! Do it! Stop running! Go back in. Do not run! Go back in. Come fight me in the dark. I want to provoke the hell out of him. Welcome! No, that's not the voice at all. That's horrible. It's like, <laughs> Who the fuck are you? I don't know. I just channeled. Where's like, Joel? I <laughs> just channeled like that fucking like, let's get ready to rumble. In the red corner. <laughs> We've got Zach Bagans in the red and black trunks. In the blue corner, two pink boys. In pink trunks. And boy, are they flabby. Welcome to Come Fight Me in the Dark, the only podcast with the edge sharp enough to chop down Zach Bagans and his boys. <laughs> and to hack, hack, hack him to pieces. That's right. Ooh, wah, ah, ah. I'm Joel. <laughs> I'm, I'm Eric Hoofnagel. You know, after the last episode of the, the indocent exposure... The mm. Diarrhea Diaries. I was concerned about the rest of the season being kind of lackluster. Me too. But, uh, hey, we're kind of back, baby. I had a lot of fun with this one. This is great. So let's get talking about uh, Ghost Adventures. Chopping chicken heads. <laughs> <laughs> hatchet man, hatchet man. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> homies, homies. <laughs> Let's talk about Ghost Adventures <laughs> Season 4, Episode 11 and or 12. I'll edit which it's one 12. it is. Uh, the vis- it's 12. The vis- <laughs> Ghost Adventures Season 12. Velisca. Velisca Murder House of Axes. <laughs> <laughs> one beer, huh, Joel? Yes. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Villisca, Iowa, the heartland of farming. Surrounded by miles and miles of cornfields, you'd think that this small, quiet town would be filled with nothing but happy history. But this place has a dark side, and that's why we're here. Hey, everybody, the news get around. Ray, this, this case is still open, and we are going to try and obtain evidence tonight to actually try and help solve this case. All right, right now, Aaron, it's time for you to go down in the cellar. You guys ready to play? Always. Aaron? Uh, no, I guess. Don't walk this guy down the cellar. He's been a bad boy. My pleasure. Chris Dudman uh, said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to tell me who you are. It announced itself as Legion. This is his house. Whose house? The guy that did the murder. If you mean from paranormal sources, I'm very skeptical of that. I, I very much doubt that. I'll tell you, though, I'm honest. If I think it's Hogwarts, I'll tell you. That's what we want. We are in Vescilla, Vis- Villisca. Villisca, Iowa. <laughs> so the Villisca Axe Murder House is the site of one of America's greatest unsolved true crime mm-hmm. mystery. And Zach thinks for sure... They're going to solve it. Which I can guarantee you, after watching this episode, they're not even fucking close. (laughs) Well, what are the chances of that? Yeah, shock, shock, shock. So, as a quick introduction, the event in question happened on June 10th in 1912 when an unknown assailant killed Josiah and Sarah Moore, their four children, and two visiting children with an axe in their home in the night 
and slipped out into anonymity beyond then. Uh, this case was so big, as they say in the episode, it actually knocked off the Titanic from the headlines. But the Titanic had happened like weeks prior. True. Which, I mean, obviously the Titanic was a huge fucking deal. Yeah. They didn't make a sexy movie out of this, so Titanic gets the last laugh. Leonardo DiCaprio is not playing Josiah Moore <laughs> or creepy <laughs> pederass uh, Reverend George Kelly <laughs> painting an underage child. No. Yeah, it's like as soon as we crossed into this area, like it was like a no-no. It is the site of one of America's most un- famous unsolved mysteries. And we get a little bit of a taste of that from Roy Marshall, the former detective and author of Velisca. And man, what a fucking great name for an old-timey detective. There are two names in this episode which are, like, oh, so on nay, the money. Nay, nay, nay. There's more than two, Joel. Oh, <laughs> There's so many names in this episode that it's like it's like how names got started where yeah. it's like you you your last name was what you did oh yeah straight up that happens a bunch in this it means that this place is not real this is all a fucking setup yeah. this is the this is the truman show for zach yeah. whoa 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 really appreciated it because i um I think that a lot of episodes needs it, but Zach has the uh, trigger warning at the beginning. Oh, yeah. But but he also gets a chance to say situations. This program depicts adult situations and mature content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Seriously, though, the following conversation does involve discussions of brutal murder, serial killers, and light sexual assault. So, trigger warning. This is the first episode where it's officially not family friendly no it's not for the family the family gets murdered the viewer discretion is advised there are some situations (laughs) some situations are not appropriate (laughs) for younger audience that point is driven home immediately almost as though an axe hitting wood Yes, he's making a point like an axe right in the middle of your face with this episode. Because after the fucking warning, it cuts to the most vomit-inducing, quick cuts, <laughs> shaky cam, spinny cam. Every every weird bit of editing you could possibly do, put into, it's like a buffet, and then you just pile every editing choice on your plate <laughs> and just mix yes. them together. And it hurts. It hurts my mind that to is, look at. That's how Billy edits, and that's how Billy eats. <laughs> I'm sorry, Joel. No, I, I don't want to look. Think about him sucking down food. <laughs> his his mouth like like um like the alien from uh, Mac and Me. Just this little. little <laughs> oh no. Billy Billy only eats Soylent. He just sucks it down. He's Nah, it's Pepsi. I think it was Pepsi. No, it was Coke. Coke. It was Coke. <laughs> so, yeah, Billy is very, very close to the Mac and Me alien. Actually, he is He is the uh, the lost family member um, that, <laughs> that doesn't get the American citizenship at the end of that movie. Eric, your, your encyclopedic knowledge of Mac and Dude, Me is really impressive. Dude, fucking Mac and Me is the best. I was... Okay, Joel... <laughs> 
let's digress here for a second. Wow, would you believe that Eric and Joel spend the next 20 minutes talking about math and me? <laughs> if you want to hear that conversation and more like it, sign up today for the Come Fight Me in the Dark Patreon at CFMITD on Patreon.com. Join now. Join now. Yeah, that's, that is the, the kind of stuff we're offering for money, I guess. Yeah. Does Zach Bagans have like a thing against kids with epilepsy? Because like <laughs> this whole episode seems like it's designed to kill people who are prone to seizures. Oh yeah. He's going all out because it you know, after the last episode blew so hard, this is some real shit. Oh, and it is more real than he lets on. Yeah. And this is where we're gonna get into our temporary true crime podcast, which I think I'm going to call Come fight me in the dark, murderers. Oh, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Oh, God. That's right. Come solve me in the crimes. (laughs) Come solve me. (laughs) You fucking dork. Oh, my God. Come solve me in the crime. Yes. Come solve me in the crime is officially the name of our our temporary one episode true crime podcast. You'd think that this small, quiet town would be filled with nothing but happy history. This case is still open. Eight people hacked to death while they sleep. And who was the killer? As an unsolved murder case, the suspect was never caught. Do you think that... There's still ways of getting information that could possibly help solve this case. He confessed to the crime. He confessed to doing them? Oh, yes. What? I'll tell you, though, I'm honest. If I think it's Hogwarts, I'll tell you. That's what we want. He says that the murderer covered all the mirrors in the house while he did the murders. Yes, this is true. Yeah, and that is really creepy. That's a really creepy murderer thing. And he's like, he's like... Maybe it's because he didn't want to see a real monster. And then I thought, you know, that must have struck Zack really hard because Zack is the polar opposite. <laughs> Can you imagine how many mirrors he has in his house? Oh, his his dungeon is just bars and sex wings with mirrors on all the walls. You know, oh, he absolutely has a mirror over his bed. The, the number of times that Zach Bagans has pulled the Patrick Bateman from... God, God damn it, Joel! <laughs> <laughs> Same brain. Dude, you know that's what he does. Yeah. <laughs> Every time he's fucking someone, he needs a mirror so that he can stay hard. Yeah. So he's looking at himself. He's doing the wink at himself. Don't just look at it. Eat it. Anytime that Aaron is being the bad boy and he needs to get sent to the dungeon, <laughs> Zach needs to be able to look at the mirror and be like, oh, yeah. I'm imagining him. Oh God! Just <laughs> fucking Aaron's in the tub, and he's like, "Clean your asshole, clean it." <laughs> and then Billy, Billy's laying on the bed, and Aaron comes out like, "Oh, I'm clean." And he's like, "Don't just look at it, eat it." Yeah. And then he sits on Billy's <laughs> face with his little butthole mouth. He goes, see, okay, listeners, witches and warlocks. Now that is some fucking fanfic <laughs> fodder. Enjoy uh, that. You yeah. can have that. Just write it. You can have that. Just write it. 
Just put it yeah. AO3. We've already we've already put you to where you need to go. Hey man, fucking uh, Fifty Shades of Grey was a fanfic. Yeah. We just gave you enough gas to make the next Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Just go go make go make a billion dollars. Fifty Shades of Gak. <laughs> I never got any respect there, really, you know. So let's get into <laughs> Come Solve Me in the Crime. Because the first guest they have is is Roy Marshall, aptly named ex-detective, yes. who floats three potential perpetrators of this crime. I, I, I went on a big deep dive. Oh, interesting. I mean, it's a fascinating case. I figured I'd learn everything I needed to know about it from this episode. Oh, not at all. I don't get my news from anything besides Ghost Adventures, Joel, so... I don't really know what's going on in the world. Uh, I have to watch the newest episodes to find out how the uh, fucking elections are going. Zach Bagans, you know, he, he's mentioning about how, how he's supporting Herschel Walker. <laughs> Herschel Walker doesn't care about history. He lives the history. He feels the history. He, he, he doesn't read. I feel a connection to Herschel because he doesn't read just like me. I sure am sad about that Bobert. She is one heck of a babe. Let's not get into politics. It's going to make me sad. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. All right. All right. Roy Marshall is floating some suspects. This case is complicated. One, because of the time that it took place, because it's kind of early in forensics. Two, as Zach says in the, the intro to this episode, you'd think this small, quiet town would be filled with nothing but happy history. But this place has a dark side. <laughs> with this fucking cow right behind <laughs> him. You'd think everything would be hunky-dory in the little town of Villisca. It would be A-okay, all right? <laughs> My name is Zach, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Zach, okay, and everything should be fine because it's a small town. Ignoring the fact that most urban legends happen in small <laughs> towns. I also imagine that, like, you know, probably pretty easy to get away with some really weird shit in a sparsely populated area. Oh, wouldn't you know it, Eric? And that's going to be an important thing to keep in your head mm. as we continue talking on this true crime podcast. Come solve <laughs> come, me in the come crime. Come solve me in the crime. So, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> as evidence as to the fact that uh, small towns are not idyllic and quiet, one of the things that made this case really hard to solve is that once word started spreading around the town on the morning of the murders, the local police put like one person in charge of crowd control who like some guy, he was like, it's like, Hey Bryce, why don't you like <laughs> stop people from contaminating the crimes? He was like, yeah, okay, boss, I'm going to do that. Thanks for giving me a task. <laughs> but he, he, he messed it up so bad. Cause basically everybody in that fucking town and from neighboring communities walked through that house while the bodies were still there dude what the fuck this this is a tale as old as time fucking oh what what year is this like 1912 or some shit yeah this is this shit happens all the time because like if something crazy happens nobody had tv the radio sucked yeah so if something shitty happened everyone flocked exactly people were taking trophies Oh, that is so... Uh, somebody in the neighborhood actually took a piece of the father's skull. Oh. 
I think that was a wrong thing for them to done. It's a small town, and the neighbor who was like a grand grandmother to the children, essentially, oh. she let out all of their animals, like their chickens, and started feeding their pigs and stuff. And then was like, oh, hey, they still haven't come out of their house. Hmm, that's weird. And she called uh, her brother, who had a key to the house, and then found the bodies. Good lord. God, can you imagine? Oh, this poor woman lost her mind. She died a few months later, essentially because she had such a, a huge psychological break from that happening and discovering the bodies that her body just gave up and, and she died. No shit. I'm not. I'm surprised she didn't fucking die the minute she saw the first one. Oddly enough, after the last episode where Zach was like masturbating because <laughs> Daryl was like, oh, the bodies, oh, the exploding, oh, ribs. There is so much more weirdness about this case that zach doesn't touch on oh whoever murdered this family started with the husband who was the only person to get the axe side of the axe like the the sharp side he used the blunt side for all of the other victims Oh, oh my god initially and then after he killed everybody he went back and started hacking at their faces with the sharp side Ew. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Ew, dude. It's such a freaky murder because (gasps) most of the bodies were pretty much where they lay in bed. But one young girl, her body was moved and they they expect some kind of sexual molestation. Jesus Christ. As Zach mentions, he covered all the windows and mirrors in the house, but also covered the phone which could have been to dampen the sound if somebody got a call, but also the phones back in those days, it kind of looked like a face. You know what I mean? So the the operating assumption is this person just didn't want anything that looked like a face looking at him. Oh my God. So, so creepy, terrifying. And Roy Marshall floats three people. There's state Senator Frank Jones, Reverend George Kelly, or traveling worker slash hobo, Andy Sawyer. Number one, step forward. Frank Jones, huge pillar of the community, Mm. state senator and business owner. Uh, He was originally Josiah Moore's boss. Okay. The, The reason why he is a huge suspect is Frank Jones had one of the biggest businesses in town and Josiah was his main salesman. And so when Josiah left, he took Moore's biggest accounts, including John Deere, which created so much tension between the men, they would cross the street rather than be on the same side of the street as each other. So, like, their beef was very public. But this murder, a little weirder than vengeance. So a an out-of-town detective by the names of James Newton was convinced... Hmm. Sounds more like he should have been uh, into physics rather than a detective... <laughs> nerd he's not a he's not a marshal so uh so james newton wilkerson is his full name was convinced that jones hired a man by the name of wilkie blackie mansfield who newton believed was a serial killer and this is why this kind of makes sense because william blackie mansfield actually was accused of murdering his own wife and child with an axe Oh. And Jones had a motive, and there was witnesses that said 
that they saw Jones talking to William, but the detective forced two grand juries to investigate this, and he was cleared on all charges both times. Whoa. And the detective actually got fined for slandering Frank Jones, the state senator, who would lose his reelection bid because of this, because fucking James Newton Wilkerson, the detective, was like, passing out flyers in his district being like, do you really want to elect a murder for hire guy? Holy shit, man. Fuck this goddamn stupid ass country has always been the same. Oh yeah. No, th- nothing's changed. This stupid nothing's ass changed. fucking country. God damn it. So Gross. the problem is with this is that Mansfield, even though he is likely a killer and an ax murderer of his own family, he had an airtight alibi because he wasn't in the fucking state that night. <laughs> God. Number two, step forward. So the next person that they mentioned is Reverend George Kelly. Like most men of the cloth, Reverend George Kelly was a pervert who was into peeping on young girls and soliciting the vulnerable for sex. You know. Dude, this is such a good murder story. We're only scratching the surface so far. <laughs> oh my God, dude. Why the, what the fuck? Like, the... The story of this murder is so much more interesting than Zach makes it out to be. I just think this is weird, guys. He fits the bill for a lot of reasons. He was a traveling preacher who happened to be in the town on the day of the murder and was in attendance of the what, what was called the Children's Day exercises at the local church that was organized by the Moore family. And multiple witnesses said they saw him checking out the Moore's daughters. As as a priest will do. So this reverend admitted to catching a train around 5 a.m. the morning before the murders were discovered. Retro. And there were two witnesses on that train that had talked to him. And he had asked them if they had heard about the murders, which had yet to be discovered. Oh, that's bad. Uh-huh. Well, it gets worse. So he re- returned to the city a few days later, posing as a detective from Scotland Yard to get access to the house and was granted it by the shitty local cops. What? So he was able to explore the still active crime scene. What? Yeah. This is not suspected. This is just known. They know that he did this. Dude. In court, All right. he seemed to know the precise details of the killings, as in, like, the order that it happened. And, as they mentioned in the episode, he confessed to the murders. To really cap it all off, this is something that they don't mention in the episode, but he was really short. He was five foot two. They think that he was able to do full swings inside the house while only nicking the ceiling which a taller man would not be able to actually do full extensions of the X-Wing. Oh my god. So things are looking pretty good for Reverend Kelly, yeah? Man. Okay. So, like, I watched that entire series of The Staircase. Uh Uh-huh. This is so much better. This is so interesting. And, like, goddamn, I say it's the fucking Reverend. Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem, Eric. Couple things. Couple things. Okay. Kelly gets brought to court two times for this on the murders. The old people that said that he talked to them on the train can't confirm that it was on the actual morning and they could have just saw him at a later date. So that gets thrown out. There's no evidence that actually attaches Kelly 
other than his own confession, which was thrown out by the jury because it was clearly coerced because the fucking police beat it out of him. Oh my God. So after two grand juries on this case with Kelly, it was thrown out. It Again, pretty good evidence, but no one ever was able to prove it was him. Wow. So we get to the last person they mentioned in the episode, Andy Sawyer. Get back. Number three, step forward. The morning the murders were discovered, Andy Sawyer approached a foreman by the name of Thomas Dyer of the Burlington Railroad Company at 6 a.m. And he asked for work at the job site in Creston, Iowa, which is about 30 miles from Visilla. He was clean shaven, but his boots were extremely muddy and his pants were wet to the knees. And he was given a job on the spot. And the foreman reported that he was fascinated by the murders, buying a paper that morning that the the murders were announced, and, like, reading it obsessively. And, as they say in the episode, the foreman caught him, like, freaking out and, like, yelling, I'll cut your heads off while making swinging motions. Yeah. Later that week, as the uh, work crews went back through Villisca, he told the son of Thomas Dyer, the foreman, that he could show him where the murderer made his escape and how he did it and the path that he went down through the woods up to a creek where the police would later confirm that they found footprints and bloodhounds followed this path up to the creek. Remember, this guy had wet pants and muddy shoes and that the bloodhounds lost the scent at the creek. Joel? Yeah. I've got this one figured out. What's up? As we learn later in this episode, uh-huh. several axes were removed from this house. Mm-hmm. One of them used in court. <laughs> one of them left behind and removed later. Probably another. I say it was all three guys. <laughs> Put them all away. They teamed up. Dun, 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 dun. Unfortunately, Eric, <laughs> I have bad news for your, your idea here. God damn it. Because Andy, again, seems like such a fucking good subject for this, but he has an airtight alibi. He was arrested for for vagrancy in Asselua, Iowa, on the night of the murders, and the sheriff put him on a, tra- on a train at 11 p.m. that evening. So it's almost impossible for him to have been in Velisca when the murders took place. Well, you know, and like when you mentioned that he got like all excited about the murders. Yeah. Everyone did. Exactly. All the other towns nearby like came through and they were picking at bodies. And I mean, the fact that he's excited about it, it can't, that's not. We talk about fucking Reverend Kelly. He was like certifiable. Like he was kind of crazy and he just became obsessive with it. This is the thing with these kind of cases that people get obsessed with them. And if you're on the spectrum of kind of crazy, you might start like <laughs> identifying with it. Yeah. Do you want to know the crazy thing? <laughs> oh, now the crazy thing. Yes, Joel. <laughs> A book released in 2017 called the man from the train makes the most compelling argument to date about the murder, which frames it as the most prolific unsolved serial killer spree in America's history. Number four, step forward. 
policing at the time usually assumed that like somebody who the who knew the victims was responsible. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and all kidnappings are done by total strangers. Exactly, right? So what this person, uh, the author of this book put together is that they looked at a bunch of newspapers from small towns from the Midwest to up to up into Canada, up into Nova Scotia around that time between 1890 and 1914. And they found a huge pattern of axe murders that all fit the same bill. They all had these things in common. They happened on train tracks, typically on Sunday nights. Entire families were targeted. The killer used an axe found at the scene and left at the scene. The victims' faces were covered after they were killed, and the windows and most mirrors were covered in the houses. And the killers washed his hands at the scene of the crimes, and and there was evidence of the killer lingering well after the act was committed. Dude. And when you put together all of these cases that have similar MOs, it accounts for between 40 and 100 unsolved murders. Dude, fucking... 1912 golden state killer shit and the the book uh offers up a a german immigrant named paul Mueller, who was at listed as suspects in a number of these cases but never brought to trial because they couldn't catch him because he was moving on down the road wow this is the end of the true crime segment it might be the most prolific unsolved and unpunished serial killer in american history holy shit yeah damn and i thought roy marshall would have gotten to the damn bottom of it well he didn't because it was somebody else shit well thanks joel that was a a fucking hell of a ride i and i was really disappointed because i i went on this like fucking this rabbit hole dive and then i came back to the episode and it's like uh, who do we got for witnesses? Well, we've got um, paranormal investigator Johnny Hauser, the man next door. <laughs> Which, uh, another name. He's the next door neighbor. <laughs> His last name's Hauser. Yeah. Okay? Telling you. There's connections here. Your lives may be in danger. Why? You've seen things that weren't to be seen. Roy Marshall, though, is a fucking, he's a skeptic. Mm-hmm. He finishes giving the little spiel about about uh, about the court case, and Zach's like, what the hell? What the? Yeah. <laughs> How come you didn't? What? What? Why wasn't he accused? What the hell? What's going on here? They explain what they're going to do, mm-hmm. and Roy isn't having any of it. Is this is this Zach flexing on anybody who says that they're a skeptic? Is this Zach trying to be like, mm, so you're a skeptic, huh? Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. Because he's like he's like, well, you're gonna come in and help us, and th- and then we get the great part where where he says he says, well, I'm gonna call out any hogwash I see. That's right. I'm gonna see if there's any fiddlesticks about. <laughs> no no humbuggery. Sir, if you are one of them flim-flam men from back east or back west, I'm going to let you know. If I catch any whiff of malarkey up in here, 
I'm going to call it out. I'm going to call my good friend Joseph Biden president of malarkey <laughs> i will i will not stand by by any blither bilge or bull <laughs> if i sense a whiff of balderdash by jericho i say that this investigation will be over i will call out any flap doodle bilkum bokum hooey and speaking of hooey and flim flam flopper flopper uh our our pair, our, our our next, the truest man with the most on the na- on the money name, uh, paranormal investigator Chris Deadman. Deadman. <laughs> like, it's like a proctologist whose name is like Doctor Phil Butts. Dude, I I was thinking about how funny this is. My the guy who did my uh my vasectomy. Yeah. The surgeon that did my vasectomy's name is Lance Marr. <laughs> okay and that basically translates to cut poorly yeah <laughs> oh my god i'm sorry i just felt something touch me in this area here <laughs> he and his associate ronald sane dude sans as in seance oh shit i'm telling bro. you joel dude straight up the names are all matching up uh, except it doesn't apply to the Gak. No. Because uh, Zach is not a hobbit, and uh, Aaron doesn't win good. I mean, Nick scoffs, but he doesn't groff, you know? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he makes he, he groffs in his sleep. He's a gruff scoffer, thus groff. Yeah! Ooh. He scoffs gruff. He <laughs> yeah, yeah. He scoffs gruffly. Wow, man, this is it. These three people all kind of center on the story of Chris Deadman, who does a spirit box session, which Zach is very excited about. He's like, oh, it's always so good to hear other people having success with, with the, the devices that we have. It's great. Yeah, God. And then Chris Ugh. Chris yelled, apparently, after the uh, spirit box said what they say is says reverend kelly which we already know is not the murderer but whatever i don't know man i blame him anyways after they get the name reverend kelly he says in the name of jesus christ (laughs) you should name yourself and they get what they says says legion (laughs) it's the most not it's supposed to sound scary if you ask in the name of jesus who are you and it goes legion that would be really scary but no, it's like, lesion. Yeah. <laughs> lesion. Yeah. Like a Le- fucking sneeze. Le- yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's trying, it's like, <laughs> it's trying not to, it's trying to stop some hiccups. Yeah. Mm. Just, lesion. <laughs> or it's like a little embarrassed, lesion. like, who are you? In the name of Jesus. Um, um, lesion. Lesion. Which, hey, hey, he gets a scratch on his back in the kind of the shape of an L. It's a legion lesion. <laughs> oh, but I'm uh, hey, Come solve me in the crime. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then, like, the only person we have to talk about other than our, our, our two female guests, which we, female, which we will get to. Female. Uh, human. Female. Um, Darwin Lynn who is the owner of the house. Which also, did you know that Darwin was a first name? Hmm. I didn't know that. Wait, I did. 
I did Since because when? of the wild thorn berries. Oh, <laughs> we did learn a lot from that show. That was the name of their 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 ape companion. Yeah, but but he didn't have a last name. Thornberry. Oh, he was part of the family, Eric. Oh my God. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> 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 that was smashing. Darwin Lynn has one of the meanest grills. Oh, dude. In town. He's the owner of the house. He is the operator of the local museum, a retired farmer, and he clearly robbed the jewelry store to make him a grill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> homies yeah. homies dude juggalos every fucking time that this episode cuts to the boys bouncing in and out of frame with axes and standing in front of the axes because it happens a thousand times every time they do that cut a juggalo comes in its jingo jeans yeah a man gets his hatchet uh, a whoop whoop gets its mcl <laughs> in response a a hot juggalette gets uh her fago poured on her <laughs> Every single time they do that, a homie gets its dark carnival ticket. Oh, there it is. Yeah. So yeah. every time, every time. <laughs> so do it. <laughs> every time, every time they, they, they do that cut. Uh, uh, um, Andy Dick gets another gig. <laughs> I don't know, man. This is going to be our first two-hour episode, and I'm here for it. (laughs) Oh, shit. Eight people hacked to death. Hacked to death. death. My hatchet chain swinging in the wind like some old dude's nuts. The neighborhood wanted to demolish the, the house in the 90s because nobody had lived there for a while. It was an abandoned house, but the governor pushed back against demolishing the house because he noted that the tourism that that house brought in was equal to more money for the town than the the corn crops of the area oh my god yes and yet again nothing has fucking changed nope darwin reverse scooby-doo this he bought it and interestingly enough like i like what he did He took out almost all modern electrical appliances and restored it as much as possible to as it would have been in 1912. (laughs) Shit. His premise was that true crime people would come and visit. Oh, and and then he gets the gag. Well, because that's the thing is I don't think true crime tourism is nearly as popular as fucking ghost shit. Yeah, well, why would you go and look at a house where people were murdered when you could go to a place where people were murdered and talk to them. Exactly, exactly. And ruin their fucking afterlife. Because that's the thing. It's it's so popular as a ghost hunting excursion. Guess how much it costs to spend a night there. Oh, you can spend a night there. You should be able to guess that because it has a, a spooky sign out front with chiller font oh, and red right. text. Oh my god, so tacky how much would it cost the witches and warlocks of our patreon to donate to us to be able to stay the night there oh jesus um so for one night there uh shit it's a tiny town um okay uh 150 500 per person 
What? Yep. It's that popular. $500? $500 a night? Dude, screw this, dude. I really want to make a Darwin joke. Do it. Uh, I can't, though. It doesn't work. I was going to say, like, uh, <laughs> boy, he. <laughs> yes, it wasn't the corn. He really did discover the origin of the money. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put some crickets after that and I'm keeping it in the episode. Ah, God damn it! No, Joel! I God damn it! Half of the things I say on this fucking podcast are blackmail. Hey, same here. Yeah, but I don't edit it. This is true. I have I have all the power. God damn! I can it. make it seem like you're the only person that likes. Shh! You shut up. <laughs> we <can't, laughs> we're not allowed to we're do done. that. No. <laughs> okay so we have to get to the most problematic part of this episode and the worst part of the episode to be honest uh no joel oh because i have to debunk something oh that you said a few episodes ago <gasps> we get a little commercial break and you know what we get aaron hyping his vlog Aaron is allowed to hype his vlog which means your hypothesis for the 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 destruction of La Palaza is not true it's debunked it is debunked yes Aaron was allowed to speak and this episode was allowed to be on Discovery Plus so the mystery remains of why the fuck that amazing piece of art was taken from the world and we will discuss that on our next episode of Come Solve Me in the Crime, <laughs> discussing the worst crime of all time, the removal of the episode La Palaza from Discovery+. Plus. Yeah, you think the axe murders are bad? Chump change. <laughs> what about the axing of that episode from the lineup on Discovery+, Plus, Zach? You murderer of fun. No, he's in trouble. He's got a rude awakening because I'm going to call his ass out. And if he's here, I'm going to throw him off this damn island. We get two former residents and sisters. Zach Bagans brings in Linda Cloud and Patty Williamson. <laughs> Not to be too mean, but Linda does look like Marjorie Taylor Greene in about 10 years. Oh, that is real mean. <laughs> Zach is kind of being mean to these women. We're going to get into that. And then we have Patty Williamson, Linda's sister, which is really funny to me because she looks like the real life version of Gail, Linda's sister in Bob's Burgers, and acts like her too. That's the first time I heard voices. And Do you think that this spirit, do you think he would still want to carry out his act of murder on you two? Oh my God, my ghost Devin must have followed me here. He's obsessed. More like Linda Clout, because, man, she is chasing, chasing that clout. So there's a lot to talk about here, because I feel like Zack is an energy vampire. Especially of females. Well, only of females, because we've established previously that Zack cannot handle when men cry. Mm -mm. But, oh, when it's when it's women that he can call sweetie, even though the, they're older than him, which really feels inappropriate. It's really weird. And he can, like, grab their arms and be like, hey, are you okay? As they cry. Oh. It's okay. It's okay. I didn't want that to be uncomfortable for you to go in there. All right? We don't know what you guys experienced in there. 
And that can be terrorizing. And that can live with you for a long time. Do you want to get out of this house now? Yes, that's okay with you. That's fine, sweetie. I understand. I don't want you to be uncomfortable. I really have to sit down. You all right? Uh, no. What's wrong? I feel very, very weak. Can you stay? Can you... I can stay. And they see the emotions that they can cause you. They get off on that. This is very exploitative, right? Mm-hmm. He's bringing in women who clearly have some trauma associated with this place to cry on camera. That's the point. Ah, uh, yeah, but throughout this, I will maintain that these two women are hamming this up uh, far beyond what they're actually feeling. Oh, nay, nay, Eric. Oh, nay, nay. Why I feel that this is very exploitative is revealed years later in a Ghost Adventures Aftershocks. Oh, is this a little Bible study? This is a little Bible study. Okay. What's revealed in the aftershocks is that uh, these women may have been reacting to trauma of a different kind because they moved to this house after their house before this burned down Uh with five of their siblings inside and they burned to death. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like completely dismissing a haunting altogether. Yeah. The idea that like these girls were already dealing with the trauma of of that and then finding out later that they live in a house where a bunch of children died horribly is like enough to create connections, whether they're, you know, paranormal or not. Yeah. Zach is an energy vampire. And this is like, we've talked about Zach kind of being exploitative in the past, you know, Pennhurst state school. (coughs) (coughs) This is like really like exploitative where it's like two women who clearly have a lot of trauma. And he's like, yes, it's okay, sweetie. Tell me more, sweetie. Yeah, sweetie, cry on camera. Yes, it's okay. The interview doesn't matter because what matters is happening right now as I put my arm around you. Yes, cry more. Maybe they are having feels, but the way they're acting feels a little bit like very much for the camera. Maybe I am a heartless sack, but... That's that's the uh, energy I'm receiving. From it me. could be either or. I mean, this house has a reputation because to further the Bible study, a more recent story from this house is that a family that loves to do paranormal investigations as a hobby stayed there. And the father woke up and had to go to the hospital because he stabbed himself in the chest, collapsing his own lung. Whoa. And he says, what? Yeah, and he says that the only thing he remembers is 
before going to sleep, he remembers a black force pressing down on him, and then he wakes up having stabbed himself in the chest. Jesus. That's wild. This house is pretty fucking wild, and that is when we get into the lockdown (laughs) of the Velisca House of Axes. This is how Ghost Adventures crew gets locked down. I can't wait to get locked in here. I'm just pumped. You guys pumped? Yeah. Let's go get this started. I'm nervous. Zach, after consoling or energy vamping these women... Yeah, consoling or exploiting or both. Yeah, consoling, exploiting. Uh, I don't think he knows the difference. Yeah. He sits down and he he tries to have a really profound moment. And he (laughs) says, you know, we don't read the history in a textbook. We come here and we communicate with the history. (laughs) And I think just the thing to take away from that sentence is we don't read so fucking funny such stark contrast to him in like previous episodes being like yeah we like to go to the local library and read up it's like no you fucking don't we knew that was a lie (laughs) no no and just as just as you fucking explained you just gave me like an hour's worth of details on this case that were so interesting yeah like he went in and talked to roy and that's it they just went to the location and felt the history that's how they knew not through reading because that's for nerds but for feeling because that's for alphas and sigmas with any lockdown investigation that we do we like to go to the library so that was a fucking lie that quote is great but the next line he says (laughs) shortly after that is maybe my other favorite quote of his from the episode just because of the context because zach is walking in during the beginning of the lockdown, and he says, we want to bring closure to these unrested spirits while he's brandishing the murder <laughs> weapon and, like, stomping around this house <sighs> with his hatchet man axe. Yeah. Oh, you're not... You're going to bring him plenty of fucking closure, you dumbass. Remember, I am not doing this... Because I have disrespect. So Zach is posing with the murder weapon in a house where, again, we have to mention this Whiskers and Warlocks. It seems logical that the victim's spirits would be there. But why would the uncaptured murderer spirit be there? (laughs) Right? Do humans produce so much energy that every time they put energy into something, there's like, they live little bits behind, like, or is it that doing something so heinous like this opens up a portal to another world? I mean, that's kind of the plot of the grudge, right? Sort of the idea that when in a place where something really bad happens, Mm -hmm. it becomes tainted and it becomes haunted because of what happened there. The weird thing, though, is that Chris Deadman, <laughs> or maybe it's Hauser, it's one of these one of these fucking paranormal boys they talk to, yeah. says that the spirits of the murder victims are residual, but the spirit of the murderer is the intelligent spirit. Yeah. Which flies in the face of what you just said, which is like, why the fuck 
would the murderer haunt the place? Exactly. Especially if, if the man from the, the train book is correct, then this is like a blip in that guy's career of murders. Of course, we, we don't know what a fucking ghost is. Yeah. So if ghosts are real, are they individual or are they, like you said, spread out? Are they perhaps, Eric, Legion? Or, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Legion. Legion. Le- Legion. 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 <laughs> <laughs> we are. Le- 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 Legion. It's just a uh, lowercase l Legion. Are we to presuppose, based on this evidence, this construction that Zach is making, that anytime we have like a, a really heightened emotional moment, like a part of our spirit gets stuck there and can be manifested after we die in bellingham washington eric (laughs) yeah on the street outside of that parking lot on state street avenue where i once broke the cell phone that you gave to me that had the silent hill ringtone (laughs) and you got really mad at me for good reason yeah are are our spirits doomed to fight there oh Forever. We are gonna haunt the the trash can <laughs> that you that you threw the the phone into, and from here on out, anytime somebody does a fucking a Ouija board near there, they're gonna just pick up. They're gonna put out the fucking spirit radio, and they're gonna hear my my whiny drunk voice going, "You fucking idiot! <laughs> you fucking idiot!" Memory. You're wondering why we're talking about this, Witches and Warlocks. It's because <laughs> yeah, this first half of this lockdown is really boring because they waste an hour trying to flex on Roy to prove that spirits happen. Also, Joel, so I realized something. I noticed that Zach gets on the walkie-talkie. Yeah. Calls to someone to let Roy in. That mm-hmm. someone turns out to be Billy and his buddy. Yeah. Now it seems that we just take it for granted that the quote unquote non-existent big camera crew isn't true. And they do have a crew outside of the three. Uh-huh. That completely explains the uh, the shadow hand in the last episode. Yeah, who knows where Rick Gizzy is? I mean... Who wears the Gizzy cut? <laughs> I mean, obviously, Billy's in charge of, you know, the technology, and he has his assistance with that, whoever that gentleman is, but they still need a PA to get Aaron his nuts. And Zach, <laughs> he needs to re-up on his ice spiker. Gizzy the Glizzy Gobbler is just, like, stroking he- Zach's hair with ice spiker in between shots. Yeah, to make he just sh- uses the grease from the sides of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> from all the god dogs he's just slammed in there yeah you know that's how zach gets the spike so perfect is that gizzy just opens his mouth up and just sucks it up <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, he just he just wipes his mouth on on Billy's mouth. Yeah. And then Billy uses his super suction mouth, his his Mac and me mouth. Oh no. So what you're saying is Giz, <laughs> Gizzy pounds a bunch of hot dogs and then once he gets nice and greasy, he just like fucking makes out hard with Billy. Just like <laughs> And then the, these are the these are the horrifying behind the scenes stuff that gets totally cut from from Aaron's vlog videos. But when I went back and listened to the tape I was recording, there was somebody throwing up violently in the background. After an hour of wasted time with Roy. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> so funny. I love it when they do this in episodes yeah. where they show how many minutes have elapsed of them like listening to a spirit radio on static or them just yelling into the dark waiting for a response that is not coming. Yeah, it says 50 minutes, no EVPs and it shows Roy looking down like the most disappointed dad. I mean, he Roy is well into his 60s and it is late at night, well past his bedtime. And he is tired. Of all this fiddlesticks. All this flim flammery. Absolutely done. <laughs> His haberdashery sense is tingling. <laughs> haberdashery, that's like a dressmaker. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, tiddlywinks. Speaking of tiddlywinks, they fucking bring it back to the nerve center and we get to see Billy <laughs> goddamn Tully with a backwards <laughs> hat, which is so on brand because it puts everything into perspective because he's it's clear that based on his fashion, the Billy is not able to let the year 2000 go because he is channeling <laughs> Limp Biscuits album, chocolate starfish and hot dog flavored water a thousand percent. Oh, he, he looks like a fan big time. He looks like if Tim and Eric were doing a spoof bit about Fred Durst and they he was the <laughs> actor that they hired and they called him like Frank Burst Freddy or something. Burst. <laughs> Freddy Burst. Yeah. Of course, in this segment, they bring in the Council of Yes Anders of all the local paranormal people because they focus on like the one shot. Everyone shows up. It's like the fucking end of the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Zach is waking up and he's like, oh, you're there. You were there. And you! And you heard it say, I killed six people. And you heard it say, I killed six people. I will say, the long, the more I heard that, mm -hmm. the more it sounded like somebody saying, I killed six kids. It is probably the best EVP in the episode. It's pretty fucking scary. What I won't give to them is Zach in this, and like he triples down on it in the Aftershocks episode a few years later. Where he's like, we even got a skeptic to take notice. Which they conveniently leave out any shot of Roy being actually impressed or interested. Or doing the jack-off motion with his hand. <laughs> While they're doing this Yes Ander Council. Oh my god. Shit is so scary. On one of the static cams left in the house... We hear audible footsteps and a door slamming shut. And this this is some of the best paranormal activity they've ever caught. Yeah. First of all, hard to fake because this door is open all the way where it's it's up against a wall. You can't slam that thing with a string the way it's set. And these, like, 
creepy ass stomping footsteps and the sudden door swinging from fully the opposite direction going all the way shut no wind that shit is real scary well and it's it it even like kind of moves unnaturally because it's so quick yeah it's that shit is really creepy i i have to admit because i am a skeptic like while i was watching this i looked over to my right to where i put my fedora on its stand with its crisscross blades underneath. You were eyeing it. I was eyeing it, but I could not bring myself to put it on because this <laughs> looks really fucking good. If this is if this footage is free of balderdash, completely free of flim flam, it's some top tier shit. I do not detect any humbuggery. <laughs> Joe Biden would look at this and be like, nope, no sir. That's not malarkey. No. Nope. I don't know. I think he'd say, listen here, Jack. Listen here, Jack. I would tell you. Come on, man. Who's, who's shut? Who's shutting? Who's, 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 who's going around there shutting that door? Who's going around there? No, 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 I've ridden trains. You know, when people call me a. You know, to tell to tell me about doors, I say no. You you got it all wrong, Jack. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on, man. It's malarkey. This I know malarkey. <laughs> this ain't malarkey. I'm telling you, I knew Obama. He wouldn't say that, that door closed by itself. He would say, <laughs> I have black friends. His name's <laughs> Obama. I have black friend. <laughs> With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. This is like the high point of the episode, but unfortunately there's more left because for round two, the most annoying device comes out. The fucking spirit box. Magic everywhere in this bitch. Again, with this episode, I want to shit on it, but like this is one of the first spirit box sessions where it kind of sounds pretty good. Like, yeah, they get some good ones. Especially the first, the opening line where Aaron is like, hey, are you scared of us? And it just gets like a full like, no. But like, it's so full. that It's not like sometimes where it's like, ep, 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 and they're like, they think it says something. It's just like a full like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those things too, where it's like, I, I don't like the spirit box. Oh, not at all. Much, but it is strange that the things they do pick up are very applicable. Well, yeah, because they get a few voices. The next thing after they ask like, Oh, what's your name? They get uh, a voice that could say Lena, which is one of the murder children. And then Mm -hmm. after that, they get a want to play. Oh yeah. Want to play. And then they ask the name again. It says Paul. And again, these two, do kind of sound like kids and Paul was the name of another one of the murdered children mm-hmm. per your statement earlier about how uh, Zach wants to bring closure to this place while he's running around with a murder weapon <laughs> after Zach gets what they think are the voices of the children. He runs upstairs and says, I demand you to tell me what your name is. <laughs> Andy, 
This is probably the worst one, but they're really trying to stretch it because Andy is one of the assumed murderers who has an airtight yeah. alibi who was not involved, so whatever. If I think it's Hogwarts, I'll tell you. And then they get into the third section where Zack demands that Aaron gets locked in the basement for being a bad little boy. Ooh. All right, right now, Aaron, it's time for you to go down in the cellar. Don't lock this guy down in the cellar. He's been a bad boy. My pleasure. Please don't hurt me. I'm not here to be hurt. How used to this do you think Aaron is of, of Zach saying that he's a bad boy and he has to get locked in a dungeon-esque location? He hears it daily. <laughs> Every time they're back home in Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Anytime he's called over to Zach's house, he's like, okay, man, like, like I'll come over, but like, just, I don't want to go into the dungeon again. I just, I'm really tired of it. I'm tired of your mirror dungeon. You know, it's a wrong thing for you to done to me every <laughs> single time. He points at the bed and there's fucking Billy splayed out. And then Aaron's just like, oh, dude. I'm out. I want you to get your stuff and come back to base. I'm out. I'm out. Good idea. Great idea. Zach and Nick go up to the attic with the alleged murder weapon. Which works great for Aaron in the basement, as he says. He's like, hey, all the bad spirits are probably going to be up there, so if you're one of the kids, come hang out, bro. chill out. Yeah, hey, kids, please. Just children. Channeling his camp council energy, he's like, hey, we can have a rap session down here. Just chill. Cool vibes. And he doesn't get anything, does he? No. He doesn't get shit. No. No. He's, he's alone down there. Meanwhile, Zach and Nick are upstairs setting up possibly the closest Zack has ever come to dying. Except for all the times he almost got tetanus because he's an idiot and hasn't got his tetanus shot, but yes. <laughs> this, this is, this is, I, I have to hand it to him. This is some ballsy shit. Can you push that axe down on him? Do you want to keep killing? Push this axe on my face. And I hope Nick and Zack are doing okay. He's setting up, possibly catching the best paranormal evidence they would ever get and also an extremely fitting end to zach baggins of all the ways for zach to go in an axe being pushed on him in the axe murder house and it landing like chopping his mouth in half <laughs> tell me your name are you there and then as he's like hitting that there it just goes and his like tongue is just like oh. you have all the power in this situation <laughs> dude i'm trying dude what i don't know why sadly sadly zach keeps his head but they do get another good evp that it does sound kind of like weird and taunting as it says because they don't step in heaven yet which which it doesn't sound like it says that but it definitely sounds like something. It is a little girl's voice. Yeah. It's one of those EVPs where I'm like, I'm not impressed by what you think it says. I'm impressed that it sounds exactly like a little girl talking, though. That shit is scary. It's not an oh my god EVP, but it's close. Yeah, it sounds like a little girl whispering. Like, it's really fucking scary. I mean, we're at the end of the episode because they wrap up. Nick lays in one of the children's beds and then he gets up and then apparently a few minutes later they they see on the motion activated night vision camera a, a black mass 
move out of the room, potentially following Nick. Which, if it's not Nick, (laughs) if it's not Nick's shadow, it's really scary. With the quality of evidence in this episode, I'm just going to say I want to believe. And this could be because of the editing. It does look like Nick just left the room and they're like, hey, look, it's a shadow. And it's really just Nick's shadow. But fuck it. I think it's great. But if you're if you believe, it looks like a fucking monster. High up on the wall. It looks like a glowy eyed monster. Mm-hmm. It's very scary. I'm ready to get out of here. I'm ready to get the hell out of here. I'm out. Sure, I'm out. Get out! I'm out. I'm out. Good idea. Great idea. I gotta say, it's nice to be back, baby, after fucking the shit that was the last episode. I had a legitimately fun, scary time with this. It's very good. Uh, The door slamming alone was very, very scary. Um... I feel weird that they didn't focus on it more. Yeah. Why wouldn't you focus on this more if it was legit? I I also am like lightly fingering the rim of my fedora. Oh, it's it's there. My hand my hand is mm. just like running down the crisscross rope handle of my <laughs> katana, feeling the the leather in my uh, hands, yeah. but. The fedora uh-huh. and the swords are staying where they are because I think this is like a probably like an eight out of ten episode for me. It's a really good it's one. Very good. I really, really like this episode. I like it way more now that uh, you have told me the whole story of, yeah. well, most of the story of the actual fucking murder and uh, and Kate and you know, search for the killer. Yeah. That shit is fascinating. Oh, I'm going to buy the man from the train because I am so curious about the whole fucking story. Well, speaking of getting down to the bottom and detecting (laughs) things, I think (laughs) it's time to open up our case files and challenge Zach Bagans to come fight us in the dark. Come and fight us. See if you'll fucking, if you'll fucking, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is absolutely staying in. This is very dangerous, guys. It's like we're going in for the attack. I would be ready to perform an exorcism. Show me your power. You guys are playing with fire. My challenge is simple because we do have an encyclopedic knowledge about Zach Bagans. And while we are looking at the past currently, I do know a lot about him in the present. Mm. And something I know about Zach Bagans, he has a lot of vision problems, Eric. Oh, yes. He's got these really cool glasses now. He's got those big glasses. He's got what he says he, at some point, demons... And his exposure to demonic forces started giving him double vision and stigmatisms. Oh, is that why I have an astigmatism? (laughs) Yeah, because of demons. You're you're filled with demons. demons. It's demons. Oh, shit. I'll tell my optometrist. And because of that, because of how bad his eyes are and how (laughs) 
looking at this episode made my double stigmatism eyes feel. I want to make a supercut of all of Zach and Billy's insane editing choices that are like designed to either give people seizures or kill people who are prone to seizures. Oh, is this your clockwork orange? (laughs) Exactly. I fucking, we fucking strap Zach into a chair Eyes spread open, no glasses, as he watches a supercut of all of these goddamn quick cuts. I'm talking about the the super fast shot of the of the lady <laughs> in the the old lady wheelchair. I'm talking about the fucking like zoom shot into the coughing gentleman. <laughs> this entire episode of like spinning in circles and. You know, I'm going to throw in the episode of Pokemon that killed a few kids just for good measure. (laughs) Oh, wow, dude. If he survives without, like, seizing to death, then all power to him. But I don't think he's making it out. This is maybe the first time uh, our our challenges are so wildly different. (laughs) It's bound to happen at some point. But but because of how different they are, they are complementary. Oh my god. Sort of the uh, opposites attract. Yeah. Opposites attract. Throughout this episode, we noticed that people's names mean something. Yes. People's names tend to be a roadmap to who they become and what they do. <laughs> I'm inviting Zach to come and live with me in the Shire. Uh, <laughs> because that's where he belongs. That's right. Uh, unfortunately. The Shire is the polar opposite from Vegas. <laughs> and I think that Zach is not going to have a very good time there. While I think I will live in absolute heaven, drinking that delicious, delicious mead and smoking their their tasty pipes and hanging out with all those little, little earthy ladies. Oh, yeah. Zach, Zach is a clean boy. And he does not like good tilled earth. We've also established good tilled earth and nature are an anathema to Zach. Absolutely. Can you imagine him trying to till a field by hog? No. And meanwhile, Eric, this is brilliant. I'm sure you've noticed, but your name, Hoofnagel. (laughs) Oh, Hoofnagel would be a great hobbit. I know how to work with horses. You you are born for it. And and Eric, I don't know if you know this, but Kleinberger means in German small townsperson. Oh ho, 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 ho. we've got him so good. The Shire calls so to us. Good. Absolutely. Proud feet! <laughs> but you know what's brilliant about this? Hmm. Zach will be released into this brown and green heaven after being completely brainwiped <laughs> by your overstimulating clockwork orange torture machine. Yeah. <laughs> he will be nearly blind. He won't be able to take care of himself. And he will have to live the rest of his life in sepia tone. The ba 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 shit fuck I was trying to remember the Green Dragon song, something da 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 da, da comes from the Green Dragon and also 
He just wakes up after this like insane like hour long quick cut montage just played. Permanent hangover. His mind is wiped. He's like a blank slate after that. He saw he just like has flashes of bloody axes and old women being shoved downstairs in wheelchairs and people coughing. And then he like wakes up and he's like, what is what is this? What is this smell on the wind? And people are like, oh, hey, young sir. What are those? What are those markings on your back? And he sees a glimpse of himself in this mirror. All of his cool tattoos. He's like, I don't I don't know. I I come from a glittering city. I, I, I and they say, uh, <laughs> by Jove, young man, what is your name? Uh, Baggins. Baggins? Oh, Baggins? Why, why, you're from up in Hobbiton. You better be on your way. Under the hill is where you belong, <laughs> sir. <laughs> a town of glittering spires and equally glittering women? <laughs> Sounds like a bunch of malarkey to me. Sounds like some dwarven bullshit. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. <laughs> it's subtle. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Some some clockwork orange torture and the Shire. Is that all you can do is just make some stupid little noises? Because that's not going to make me scream like a little girl. Dance floor is yours. Show yourself. I thank you, Witches and Warlocks. Thank you, Eric, for our one episode ever of Come Solve Me in the Crime. <laughs> We're going to be back to our regularly scheduled program next time as we go to my closest home city that we grew up to because we are going to Seattle, baby. Oh, okay. As Zach is investigating Kell's Irish Restaurant and Pub. And uh, the image, of course, is Zach touching the famous gum wall. So that's fun. Ew, no! Eric, I will see you there next time because I'm going to go to this restaurant for studies. Oh, Sweet. <laughs> Fucking FaceTime me in. All right, Eric. Which is Warlocks. Hey, I love you, buddy. I love you, buddy. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> okay, bye. Oh, God. Oh, shit. All right, all you witches and warlocks out there, thank you so much for listening. Eric and I really appreciate it. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, and iTunes by searching Come Fight Me in the Dark or at CFMITD. You can check out our Patreon for exclusive bonus content like our continued Paranormal Challenge series. Come fight me in the dark after dark for all the stuff that's too hot for the pod. And new skits, and that's at CFMITD as well. Send us an email at comefightmeinthedark at gmail.com with any questions, stories, and fan art. We, we love hearing from you. So thank you so much for listening, and have a good night. <laughs>